0: It's a pleasure to be with you guys again. Um, Some of you may recall last time I was here back in October, I got to uh, visit one of your fine medical facilities while I was out here for the weekend and uh, see how well they put eight staples in someone's head. Um, I was uh, playing with my kids out on the playground and chasing them around and hit it on a piece of playground equipment. Uh, So this time to play it safe, I left them all at home and kept a wide berth. Um, of all playgrounds. Uh, so again, it's it's good to be with you guys. It's always a pleasure when Mark invites us out from Resurrection Brooklyn. And I send you greetings from your brothers and sisters at Re- Resurrection Brooklyn Presbyterian Church. Again, my name is Brian Steadman. I've been a pastor at our Park Slope location and then directing our disaster relief ministry since uh, Hurricane Sandy. So thanks for having me out again. So this morning we're going to look at... Psalm 32. And before we do that, let me just remind us all, sort of give a context for what the Psalms are meant to do for us as God's people. The Psalms are like looking through a window into the spiritual life of the church, the gathered people of God. And it does so by showing the people of God how we are to pray. It shows us how we are to uh, pray prayers of joy and thanks. It teaches us how to pray for wisdom and ask God for understanding, They teach us how to pray for success. They, of course, also teach us how to how to how to lament and how to grieve the brokenness in our lives and in the world around us. They teach us how to give thanks. And Psalm 32 is a prayer. Uh, it's a penitential psalm. It teaches us basically how to confess, namely how to confess our sins or how to say that we are sorry. And uh, this comes, I think, at an appropriate time uh, as we prepare uh, for the week that is to come and as we draw to a close the season of Lent, um, I know that uh, the, the church calendar is not something that we emphasize too much around here. In, in Brooklyn, we find that it's helpful for our folks. It's You know, there's all sorts of ways to skin the cat, but uh, it's helpful for our folks in Brooklyn to follow the church calendar. So we've been celebrating, celebrating this season of Lent and many of you may have grown up in a tradition similarly that... Uh, Uh, that followed this season. It's a time of preparation. It's a time of sort of reckoning with our lives and taking stock of what's going on and what's important to us as individuals and as a community. Some of you may know that uh, sometimes we fast during the season of Lent. We give things up for this season, whether it be uh, food or drink or entertainment. And uh, we forgo those for a time. And we do so to remind us that more than we need chocolate or alcohol or TV, we need Jesus above all else. Um, and I'll confess to you, I've been pretty bad at Lent this year. Lent kind of got on me in a hurry before I knew it. It was here. My kids had all you know, given up different things, and I hadn't even thought about it. And I was like, wow, shoot, I was supposed to think about something to give up for Lent. And my sister-in-law put a good spin on it for me uh, before Lent began. One of my colleagues talked all of us at Resurrection Brooklyn into running the Brooklyn Half Marathon. According to this app on my phone, I hadn't ran in 252 weeks since I went on my last run. And I got talked into doing this and training and going through all this exercise regime and training regime. And really, I hate running. Uh, But I started training for this thing. And my sister-in-law, Julie, says, well, Brian, you did give up something for Lent this year. You gave up sitting around in your lazy rear end doing nothing. And I was like, thanks, Julie. That's a good way to put it. Just don't ask me how my training program is actually going. Uh, so we, uh, we give these things up for Lent. And really, as I said, they are to remind us that more uh, than we need these things, what we really need is Jesus. And Lent is a time of uh, preparation. It's to remind us that uh, we give these things up to get ready for the big party that is to come. The big celebration, the great feast that we're going to celebrate next week on Easter, where we remember... That Jesus was raised from the dead and he shares this powerful resurrection life with you and with me. But sometimes we know to get ready for dinner, to get ready for a feast, to really enjoy it. Sometimes we know we have to say we're sorry. We have to make things right at times before we're ready to sit down at that table and really enjoy a meal with those that we love and care for the most. So all, with all that in mind, let's read Psalm 32, this penitential psalm. It's printed for printed for you there in your worship folder. You can follow along with me if you like, or you can just sit back and relax and listen. A masculine of David. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. For when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Surely in the rush of great waters, they shall not reach him, as you are a hiding place for me. You preserve me from trouble. You surround me with shouts of deliverance. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like a horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curbed with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Many are the sorrows of the wicked. But steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. This is God's word to us. Let's pray and ask for his blessing. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We ask you bless the reading and now the preaching. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. May we Hear and understand this morning your great love and care and forgiveness of us. We ask and pray in Jesus' name, Amen. Well, from the time that we are babies, we like to play hiding games. We all know this, especially with uh, with our small children. You know, kids at a very young age, they like to play peekaboo. You know, we put our hands over our face, and they put their hands over their face, and we say peekaboo back and forth to one another. And then as they get older, you know, we start to uh, up the game of peekaboo a little bit. And, uh, you know, we'll say, uh, all right, go hide and I'm going to come find you. And our littlest ones, they'll go about five feet away and they'll crouch down, you know, and they'll just put their hands over their face and they think they're hidden, you know, because if they can't, if, if they can't see you, then you can't see them, right? That's usually how it works. And then we get older and we start to up our game a little bit more and we start to get in more uh, complicated games of hide and seek. Uh, you know, we'll say, go hide, and they'll, you know, I'm going to count to ten. Now go hide, and our kids will run, you know, ten feet away now and go right in the closet in front of you. And uh, they think they're hidden. Uh, but then we get older, and we, you know, we, we want to really, like, up the ante. So we play at night. We play outside with all our friends. We deck ourselves out in, in all black clothing and, and, uh, and paint our faces or whatever. And, you know, we go and, uh, and hide up in trees or whatever in the pitch black dark outside, you know. And then we, we play hide and seek that way. Uh, I've always enjoyed playing hide-and-seek every time I was a little kid, and I still do. Uh, I'm an only child, and I married into... Uh, my wife is the oldest of seven, so I had six instantaneous little brothers and sisters, which was just a dream for me, because I hated growing up an only child. And when I married into the family, they were all still very little, so we play hide-and-seek all the time. And I have to be honest, I, I take great pride in my hide-and-seek skills. You know, They're, they're pretty good, to be honest with you. One time... Uh, I climbed up into the top of this really, really tall tree at their house, and I just melded myself to that tree, uh, that tree trunk. And we're playing at night. And of course, I was the last one to be found, and I let them stand at the base of that tree for 30 minutes debating whether or not that was me up in that tree. You know, I didn't move a muscle. I didn't give him a hint, you know, and they're saying, is that really? I don't think that's him. That's just a big knot on the tree. That's got to be him. You know, oh, come on, you know, and they're just begging. Come on, Brian. That's got to be you. Please come down. Please come down. And I was like, no way. No way. If you want to prove it's me, you better get up here and, uh, and come tag me so that you know for sure uh, that you found me. We like to hide. We like to play hide and seek. And as we get older Uh, The game really just stays the same. We just graduate to more sophisticated forms of hiding. Let me maybe throw out a couple of them. Name dropping. Name dropping is a way to hide. All right. We like to just throw in. Yeah, I know so and so and I know so and so just to, you know, try to boost ourselves up and make us look like, yeah, you know, I got that golden Rolodex. You know, I, I got connections. I know people. All right. This this can be a form of hiding image. Projection. We all know our culture is all about image projection, you know, putting on a good face, a good outward appearance uh, so that we can hide who we really are. Sometimes the way we dress, the way we perform, the way we self promote ourselves, we even use wit and humor to hide. You know this, you learn it at an early age out on the playground. You know, if I can get you laughing at this poor guy over here, then that just draws your attention away that I'm just as ridiculous as he has as he is. But I got you laughing at him. I can hide my own weaknesses and and, uh, insufficiencies. We hide in perfectionism. We hide by lying, secrecy, deceit, denial. These are all ways that we try to shield from others who we truly are. Because inside we're ashamed. We're ashamed of our sin. We're ashamed of our brokenness. The ways that we fail ourselves and others. And we don't want anyone, anyone to know it. We don't want anyone to see it. So we'll go through any length we can to try to cover that up. And friends, this is nothing new. All right, This is what we've been doing since the beginning of time. If you go back into the book of Genesis and you read in chapter 3, when Adam and Eve sin and sin enters into their lives and into the world, what do they do? They dive into the bushes and hide. That's exactly what they do. They cover up their sin by trying to hide from God, by... Behind the trees and in the bushes. And we've just been keeping up this same game ever since. This is nothing new. This is what we've been doing for thousands and thousands of years. And what's the cumulative effect of all this hiding? What does it add up to? Well, eventually we just we live a lot. We don't live in the truth of who we are. We don't handle it in healthy and mature ways. So we isolate ourselves from others. We isolate ourselves from true Relationship, because if you're constantly trying to hide your brokenness and sin, then you're never actually acknowledging the fact that you do fail, that you fail yourself, that you fail God, that you fail others. But friends, fundamentally loving someone, you all know this, loving someone means saying you're sorry. i give you an example in my own life. You know, I, I don't want to be the one who's wrong. Right. I don't want to be the cause of any dysfunction that's happening in my family, with my wife, with my kids. You know, so I try to explain it away. I try to justify it. I try to re divert or re redirect what's going on, and eventually I, I just withdraw. I just pull away. I just keep them all at arm's length because I don't want to be the one who's at fault. I don't want to admit that I may be the cause. Of what's going on in our relationship, rather than say, I'm sorry, I would just pull away from those relationships. Maybe that sounds familiar to you as well and a pattern in your own life. But friends, we are not made to hide. We're not made to live in isolation. We are created in God's image who exists for all eternity in perfect relationship. Father, Son and Holy Spirit. We were not made to live alone and in hiding. And God's work of redemption is all about bringing us out of hiding. God's redemption is about putting an end to this game and saying, come out and live free and in the open as you were meant to be. And the way out of hiding begins with confession. It begins with being honest with God about our brokenness and our sin. It's about telling the truth of our hearts lives. Confession is about moving beyond pretending and living in the reality of who we are, that we are, in fact, sinners. It means saying you're sorry. A commentator, Oliver O'Donovan, says that confession is at the root, is the freedom. Confession is the freedom at the root of all freedoms. I know for me, I know for many of you, you don't think about confession as any is Freedom. Right, confession doesn't feel often like freedom, but I'm telling you, confession is the freedom at the root of all freedom. So let's look at Psalm 32 and let's try to learn from this prayer what it means to be a people of confession. Look at verses one and two. There again, blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit. There is no deceit. Now, I want you to notice that the psalmist here, he makes no no defense of the sinfulness of mankind. No defense. He just comes right out and says it. The psalm assumes that man is a sinner. He uses four different words here to drive the point home. Transgression, sin, iniquity, deceit. Four different words all getting at the same thing to drive the point home that we are sinners. And he makes no defense of it. Now, that sometimes make us, makes us uncomfortable. Like, Brian, why do we got to be so negative? Why do we got to talk about all this sin and guilt and, and all these things? You know, why can't we just, you know, we're good people. We're all decent enough and, and we're okay. Why do we have to talk about sin and guilt and these things? Well, friends, let me tell you that to deny these things is still, it's just hiding. We're still trying to hide. If we want to just say, look, sin and guilt makes us uncomfortable. Let's not think about those things. That is still trying to hide. We read earlier this morning in 1 John that the person who says he has no sin deceives himself. You're just fooling yourself. And the truth is not in you. And furthermore, look at the point of this honesty about the reality of sin. The people of God do not acknowledge their sin as some sort of morbid fascination with guilt or obsession with how messed up we are. No, the psalm's immediate emphasis is how blessed how blessed are those who are forgiven. It just means, oh, how happy, how joyful it is to know that you are forgiven of your sin. Yes, sin is real, but oh, the happiness of knowing that God forgives your rebellion against him and that he covers it over. Verses three and four tell us how what we already know that when we hold it in, when we keep it to ourselves when we try to hide it, how unhappy that makes us feel. That when we keep silent about our sin, our bones waste away. We groan all day long, day and night. God's hand is heavy upon us and our strength is dried up as in the heat of summer. That when we hold it in and keep silent, it only destroys us. It eats us away. Do you know that feeling to have the Lord's heavy hand upon you? Friends, that's not a happy feeling. Okay, That's an unhappy feeling. So the psalmist's point here about confessing our sin, about being real and honest about our brokenness, is actually to experience his blessing. To acknowledge and to confess it, to finally agree with God about the truth of our sin, to not excuse it, is actually to enter into this state of blessing. If we look there in verse five, I acknowledge my sin to you that I did and I did not cover my iniquity. I said I would confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. When the psalmist finally stops playing the game of trying to cover it up. And if you notice the difference here, it's all about who's doing the covering. When the psalmist quits trying to cover his sin, what does the Lord do? As opposed to verse 1, He covers it. He confesses, and what does the Lord do? He forgives. He forgives the iniquity of our sin. Psalm 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the way of the sinner. But Psalm 32 is here for us because we will fail to walk in that way. But oh, the happiness of being restored to that path. Oh, the joy of knowing that we can be forgiven. And friends, confession is the doorway back on that path. The psalm here is not trying to motivate you to confession by guilt. He's motivating you by the beauty, the wonder, the loveliness of knowing that the Lord forgives Verse 6 and 7, therefore, let everyone who is godly offer prayer to you at a time when you may be found. Now, what is a godly person? Well, in this context of this psalm, it's not a sinless person. It's not a person who never messes up. It's a gracious person. It's a person who is the recipient of God's free and good grace. And he says, the time is now. Don't wait! Don't wait! Even if the waters are arising, maybe they're even up to your neck. The Lord can still be found. And what will the sinner who by God's grace is saved from these waters find? He'll find a hiding place. A hiding place from the trouble of our sin. Now we know that sometimes it's a good thing to hide. Sometimes we have good reason to hide. Whenever your life is threatened, we can think about... Those throughout the centuries who have been persecuted. We think of genocide and those people who have to flee, terror and murder. They need hiding places. And we have all sorts of stories about when, when these folks find a good place to hide that keeps them from the threats that are, that are out there, that are after them to seek to take their lives. That sometimes it's good to have a hiding place. My friends, the only place to hide, the only safe place to hide, from the enemy of our sin and rebellion against God is only in Jesus Christ. The psalmist says that if we'll confess our sins, even if the waters are up to our neck, we will find a hiding place. And that hiding place for you and me is Jesus, the one who surrounds us with these shouts of deliverance because he is our champion. He is the one who has defeated the tyranny of Of our sin, the hold that it has over us. The Apostle Paul says in Colossians 3, what? For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Confession is a type of death. It's not always easy, but it is a dying to ourselves, our pride, our rights, our desires, our hatreds. It is a humiliation that would almost be unbearable if it didn't feel so good to take off that skin. Friends, Jesus was not ashamed to be crucified for us as an evildoer. If we will not be ashamed to die the death of a sinner, then we will experience the joy of the cross of Jesus as our rescue, as our salvation, as our hiding place we will break through to true fellowship with God and we will stop hiding from our relationship with God and start hiding in our relationship with God. In verses 8 and 9, the direction of this psalm actually changes from David addressing God to addressing the congregation of the people. And this is important to know because we have to remember that the psalms really are the corporate hymn book. All right. these, were, these were prayers that were meant to be sung as the people of God gathered together in corporate worship. And so to this point, confession has been directed vertically towards God. Now the people address each other on a horizontal level. And they're saying to each other, don't be like a horse or a mule. Well, how so? Well, to get them to draw near, to come close, to go the way that they should go. They have to be harnessed. They have to be bridled. They have to be... Forced and coerced into cooperation. But this is not as God, as God intends for us. God wants us to draw near to Him, to walk in the path of blessedness. And He wants to elicit this response from our hearts. And that's over and against verses 3 and 4 where we stubbornly hang on and keep silent and keep it to ourselves. And we refuse to own up to our sin and say we're sorry. And we just keep plotting down that path that leads to our destruction just like a beast with no understanding. So the corporate element to this psalm reminds us that the practice of confession is twofold. Yes, we confess our sins directly to God. But we also confess our sins with and to one another. Why? Because we need each other. We need each other. As the psalmist says in verse 8, we need to keep an eye on each other's welfare. To look out for one another so that we do not remain blinded to the freedom promised In confession, in James chapter 5, he says, Confess your sins to one another. Why? So that you may be healed. That you may be set free of this bondage of sin. Now, I know this makes many of us uncomfortable. We start to squirm in our seats when we start talking about actually confessing sin to one another. And the reason is because often the church can be uh, not a safe place to do that. We know this. We all do it. We get up on Sunday morning. We yell and scream at our kids to get out the door. We get in the car. We drive over. Somebody cuts us off. We cuss them out. But we get out of the car and we walk through those doors. And what do we do? We straighten our tie. We smooth out our dress. And we walk through and we look like we have it all together. That there's not a thing wrong in the world. That we have our stuff all straightened out and in a nice little row. And we know that's not the case. Because, friends, the church is not a day spa for the healthy. It's a hospital for the sick. And this has to be the safest of all places where we can be real and honest about the brokenness in our lives, about the sin that clings so closely to us. So we need to stop pretending and be honest with one another to repent Of the pride and the self-righteousness and the self-protection that keeps us from being the type of people that others feel comfortable going to. And saying, hey, I need to talk to you. I need to share this with you. I need to confess this to you. Because love means saying you're sorry. And there can be no true relationship with each other without confession. And what do we say to one another as we hear each other's confession, as we become those kind of safe places for each other? What do we tell each other when we hear these things about our life? Verse 10, many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Now, what distinguishes these two categories? It's not sinlessness. Both are sinful. No, it's the people who confess and forsake their sins and those who hold it in and hide it. Hold it in and hide it, you will experience the sorrow of the wicked. But trust in the Lord, confess your sin, and His steadfast love will surround you. That's what we remind each other when we hear each other's confession. We tell each other, verse 11, Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Friends, confession is not a morbid obsession with guilt. It is the doorway to experiencing the joy of the Lord, the freedom of knowing that you are forgiven and you are in Him. The righteous, the upright in heart, it doesn't mean you will never sin again. It means that you will keep coming and you'll keep coming and you'll keep coming to Jesus, your Savior, with your sin, trusting in Him to forgive. And this is why we confess our sins every week in worship. We do it every single Sunday. I know that's what you do here. It's what we do in Brooklyn. We confess our sins every week. We get right with God. We, can, we agree with Him for the ways that we have failed and let Him down. We do it up front, but that confession always leads to joy. It leads to a feast that we're about to celebrate. where We pick our heads up and know that we are forgiven and we can celebrate because Jesus says, I forgive you and now come and feast with me. Enjoy relationship with me. Let's enjoy fellowship together at this table. There's great joy in confession because it feels so good to be free, to be out in the open, to be in restored relationship with our loving father and our brothers and sisters in Christ. And when we hear each other's confessions, we need to not be ashamed to remind each other, brother, sister, there is great joy in this moment. We are all so good at hiding. You know who's not good at hiding? My five-year-old. My five-year-old Claire is terrible at hide-and-seek. Alright? If we ever play in the house on a rainy day, I say what? I say, okay, Claire, I'm going to count to ten. You go hide. Daddy's going to come find you. And I turn around. And I you know, close my eyes. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Here I am! Here I am! No, Claire, no. That's not how the game is played. I'm going to count to ten. You go hide and stay there. Stay there. And then I'm going to come find you. Got it? Okay, here we go again. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ready? Here I am! She doesn't want to hide. She doesn't want to be apart from me. She wants me to come and grab her and sweep her up and tickle her and make her laugh and hold her close. And friends, your Heavenly Father wants to do the same thing. That if you'll come out in the open you'll say, Here I am! That he'll sweep you up in His arms. He will hide you in His grace and love. Because that's the Savior that we have. Let's pray. Our gracious Heavenly Father, we thank You that Your steadfast love surrounds us. Help us to be a people of confession, Help us to be a people who are honest and open with you and with each other about the brokenness in our lives, about the sin that seeks to snare us and entangle us. May we be a people who are a safe place for others to fail and to admit those failures. And ultimately, may we all be led with joy to know that you cover our sin in Jesus Christ, that by his blood we are forgiven. And that is a joyful and a happy thing. That is a blessing. May we know that by Your Spirit. In Jesus' name, Amen.